Here we are in uh, second to last week of the series, I think. It's exciting. Um, I'm wondering, is there anybody here who is preparing for a wedding right now? Like either yours or family member? Anybody gearing up for a wedding? No? Kind of? <laughs> kind, that's, that's a story, I'm sure. <laughs> Maybe? We don't, we don't know. <laughs> a lot of us have been there, though, right? Where we're, like, prepping for the wedding, and you're excited, especially at first. There's all the, the energy and telling everybody the news. But then the details, oh, my goodness, the details you have to think through to plan a wedding. Not my gift at all. Um, I know a lot of us have been there. Um, but it's, it's also a really exciting time, too, right? Because you're, you're preparing, you're dreaming about this new life together that you're going to share. Now, when Craig and I got engaged, um, in addition to all the usual wedding planning craziness, which we condensed into a very short period of time, um, he also took on another really big project. <laughs> he decided he was going to renovate the bachelor pad he'd been living in for the last several years to get it ready uh, for me to move in. So he got help um, from a lot of different friends and family members. He pulled a lot of really late nights. Um, and by the time our wedding day rolled around, I moved into a house that had been beautifully redone uh, with a lot of care. Now, mind you, I was just coming off a work assignment where I was living in a really remote area of Kenya. And the house that I lived in there was essentially a concrete block with like holes in the concrete that were sort of like windows. And so my standard of accommodation at that point was pretty low. Like I had certainly not demanded or asked him to update anything in the house, but this is just something he really wanted to do before we got married. It was work, for sure. It was a lot of work. But it wasn't some sort of frantic to-do list to try to appease some angry, demanding future spouse. It was an act of love and commitment. He was excited about the wedding that was ahead, and he was preparing himself and his home for this new life we were getting ready to share together there. And that's the picture that I want us to keep in mind as we dig into today's topic. The good news that we're going to proclaim today is that Revelation actually unveils a vision of our future where we get to live and reign with God in loving communion forever. And so we're invited to live today in excited preparation for tomorrow. Now, the last four weeks, we've been talking about the book of Revelation, which was a big undertaking. In week one, Brian kicked things off with a much-needed level set. We looked at an intro to how we're going to approach um, interpreting these scriptures. And he pointed out that Revelation is a prime example of what we call apocalyptic literature. It was a really popular literary genre at, in the like 400 years surrounding the birth of, of Christ. And apocalyptic literature famous, famously uses these really graphic symbols to represent historical events or spiritual truths in such a way that like, it jars the reader's attention and it motivates them to begin living a certain way. And while Revelation is meant for us as part of the canon of the Bible, Brian pointed out that it's important for us to note that it wasn't actually written to us originally. Revelation was written by a pastor, a real-life first-century pastor named John. And he was uh, living on a remote island. He'd been exiled there by the Roman emperor. And it's from there that he wrote this apocalyptic letter to the real first century churches of his day. He was attempting to lead them and encourage them from afar. So he used these really graphic symbols and images in his writing as a way of um, saying something that would make perfect sense to like first 
century Christians, but it might not make sense to, say, the Roman guards who might have intercepted the message. And often it may not make sense to us as 21st century Christians who don't have the same context that they do. So with that in mind, each week we began digging into one of the major themes found in this curious and often confusing final book of the Bible to see if we can better understand this picture that John was painting. Because if we can understand the picture he's painting for those churches, we have a better understanding of what the, the book of Revelation means for us today. And today's theme that we're going to talk about is what's known as the New Jerusalem Bride. Devin picked a perfect song to kick us off this week. And as we dig into this theme, we're going to see this good news revealed that Revelation unveils a vision of our future where we will live and reign with God in loving communion forever. And we're invited to live today in excited preparation for that tomorrow. Now, this theme of the New Jerusalem Bride, we see it echoed throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, but the primary place that it shows up in the book of Revelation is in the final two chapters, where John begins to paint this beautiful picture of what it's going to look like when at last God and his people are living together the way he always dreamed they would from the very beginning. Check out how he kicks off this picture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now John is painting a picture here of the bride as a city, or like a city that is a bride, which is really confusing, and we're going to talk about this. But this the city bride is walking down the aisle, beautifully dressed and prepared for her husband for the wedding ceremony. And for us to understand all the richness of this symbol, we're going to break it down in a couple of pieces, okay? So first we're going to talk about this bride symbol. This would have been an extremely familiar symbol to the first century Christians of, of the day. And it probably is to many of us too, because we see this over and over in scripture, don't we? Especially in the New Testament. We see how God's people are referred to as the bride and Christ as the bridegroom. But those first century Jesus followers, they had a little bit of an advantage on us when they read this. There were things they understood about what that meant that we don't because of their cultural experience in that day and age about marriage and marriage ceremonies and whatnot. So at that time, how this would happen is they, they wouldn't just have one marriage ceremony like we do. They actually had two. So first they would have what's called the betrothal ceremony. And that was kind of like the engagement, except that it was legal, legally binding. Like, you would actually have to get a divorce to get out of this kind of en engagement. And then about a year or two later, uh, they'd have the big party. That's when the wedding actually happened. And at that point, the bride and groom, they would consummate their marriage, and they would begin their new life together, uh, living in the same home. And that year and two or two between the betrothal ceremony and the wedding, that was a time of really intentional preparation for them. The husband would often go away. He would apprentice with someone so he could learn a trade. He would get a job, maybe build a house, whatever was needed to provide for his new wife and family. And the wife uh, would stay in the community and she would be taken under the wings of the older women in her community where she would learn what it meant to be a good Jewish wife in their first century context. It was this period of excited preparation for both the husband and the wife. So when a first century Jesus follower reads this part of John's letter, they immediately understand, oh, I, I'm in the betrothal period right now. That's where we are. 
And so I should be excitedly preparing myself in anticipation of this wedding that's coming, where, where I'm going to get to live forever in partnership with God. And that's true of us too, guys. That's where we are. We're in this betrothal period. We've betrothed ourselves to Jesus when we decided to follow him. We may have even had our own little betrothal ceremony. Like when we, when we chose to get baptized and declare publicly to the world that this is our intention. We're going to live life in communion with God from here on out. If you haven't had a chance to take that step of baptism and you're wanting to do that, we celebrate that every year at Easter, so that's coming up. We'd love to celebrate that with you. Um, talk to one of our, us as pastors or you can sign up online. But that's, that's kind of what we symbolize this betrothal with, with the baptism. And now we're in this period where we're, we're preparing ourselves. We're learning how to be a good partner in relationship with God because that's where we're headed. That's our future. And this is what it, we mean when we talk about being with Jesus so that we can learn from him how to live and love like he does. And it's crucial. It's central to who we are as a church. It's why we clarified our big dream language last year, by the way. We now explicitly state that it's our mission to equip people to become an unstoppable source of God's love that changes our world. It's also why we have the 10 practices for becoming that you've been hearing about the last several months. They help us practice the ways and the rhythms of Jesus as we're getting ready. We're, like we're kind of like the wives in that community. Like, <laughs> we exist to help the newly betrothed learn to be the kind of bride who's confident and prepared to take on her new role as wife alongside her husband, who, by the way, in this picture, in this scenario, happens to be the king of the whole kingdom. Revelation is an unveiling of this vision for our future where we get to live and reign with God in loving communion forever. And so we're invited to live today, right now, in excited preparation for that tomorrow. And what does that look like? What does it look like for us to prepare? Because I think a lot of us may have some kind of weird baggage around this idea of preparation when it comes to this topic and this book specifically. We start thinking of that song that Jeremiah referenced in week three, that I wish we'd all been ready. Just wish we'd all been ready. But is that, is that really what it's like? Is the groom's arrival like those like time tests we used to take in elementary school? Where you have like 30 math problems and there's a ticking timer in the background, you gotta hurry to try to finish them all before the buzzer goes off and time's up and you failed. Maybe I was just a really nerdy first grader, but that was really intense for me. <laughs> I think if we're honest, that's the kind of message a lot of us have internalized about Revelation. You better hurry up, clean up all the junk in your life before Jesus comes back, because then it's too late. And then you're toast. <laughs> I think this is the point we have to ask ourselves. Is that picture of Jesus actually consistent with the picture we see reflected in the whole rest of Scripture of who he is? I mean, is Jesus the kind of husband who's going to fly off the handle when he comes home early and finds the house a mess? Is that really the Jesus that we're picturing here? Or is our bridegroom the same Jesus who embraced the unclean leper? The guy who washed the dirty feet of disciples, he knew we're going to betray him. I think Revelation's really clear on this one. The groom we're excitedly preparing ourselves for is the same guy who's the lamb who was worthy to open the scrolls because of his sacrificial love for us. 
And by that sacrificial love, we too are made worthy and whole, and we get to take our place as the bride beside him. Guys, I don't want to I don't want you to miss this. When we talk about preparation, it is God's work in us that prepares us. God is doing the work of transforming. We talk about it all the time around here. God's the one who transforms us through his love for us. And our job is to simply surrender to that love. Say yes to it over and over again. And as we do that, we get to be confident in our preparation Like Paul says in Philippians, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. This is an idea we see reflected all over the New Testament letters. So those early Christ followers, they're reading the Revelation and they've already heard this idea. They're familiar with it. They've read letters like 1 John where he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Did you catch that? When Jesus comes back, we're going to see him as he is, and we will be like him. His transforming work in us will at last be complete. At last, whatever addictions or struggles or temptations we have just been plagued by, we're going to be free of all of that. And we're going to be the resplendent bride in this picture, beautifully dressed for her husband. But I want you to notice that last sentence. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Basically, 1 John is saying the same thing we're talking about in Revelation, that this is the promise we have for our future. We know what that looks like. And because of that, we get to start preparing ourselves right now. That's the good news we're proclaiming today, that Revelation unveils a vision of our future where we will live and reign with God in loving communion forever. And we're invited to live today in excited preparation for that tomorrow. So now we have a fuller understanding of what this bride piece looks like. we got to go back and kind of pick up the other piece of the symbol. Because verse 2 said that it's the holy city, the new Jerusalem, who's coming down as the bride. What on earth does that mean, right? Like the bride is a city? That's confusing. I, don't, I can't even picture that. But the Old Testament talks about New Jerusalem. It talks about New Jerusalem as the city of God, the place where God dwells. So what John's doing here is he's reminding us that God's dream, the dream that began in the Garden of Eden, it will be realized. He will dwell with his people forever in the closest, most committed kind of relationship that we could possibly imagine, which is why he pairs it with this marriage symbol. It's like the healthiest marriage relationship you've ever seen, except infinitely better. And here's the thing about a city. They're not made up of just one person, right? I mean, we have some small towns in Missouri, but I'm pretty sure none of them are so small that they're just one person. A city is a group of people. In this case, it's the church, the big C church. It's all of us from all of history who've committed ourselves, betrothed ourselves to the king. We are collectively the bride of Christ. 
The bride of Christ is not just you or me individually. It's all of us together. That's the bride. And yes, it is true what we talk about all the time around here. Each of us individually are fully known and lavishly loved by our God. But we're also part of a larger body of Christ. And as part of that body, we each have a unique role to play. And when we each show up and we play our part and bring our full selves, the body of Christ is whole and it's healthy. It's preparing itself. That's the bride. So when John unveils this vision of the future, where we're living and reigning with God in loving communion forever, and when he invites followers of Jesus to live today in excited preparation for tomorrow, he's not just inviting us to prepare individually. He's also inviting us to prepare corporately. We are all part of one bride, and we need each other, guys, because we cannot grow the way we're supposed to grow on our own. There's just no way to sugarcoat that. There is no place for Lone Ranger Christianity here. You can't expect to sit at home and read a devotional book occasionally or listen to that sermon podcast and never engage with anyone else who's a Christ follower and expect to grow the character of God that he dreams for you. It would be convenient, wouldn't it? Probably way less messy. But it's just not the way it works. Preparing ourselves as the city bride requires community. That's why we come here on Sundays and do things like celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. It's like a little taste of the feast that's to come with the wedding ceremony. And when we come together and we romance the groom through corporate worship, that's a way of preparing ourselves. But preparing ourselves as a city bride, it's also what happens the other six days a week. Because I need people in my life who are up close and personal and they can see me. And they're close enough to me to be able to say the hard things when I really need to hear them. And remind me of who God is and who I am. I need people who can encourage me, who are going to walk alongside me in real time when I'm struggling. And you do too. We need each other, guys. And our choices individually, they impact the body as a whole. If I'm preparing myself and I'm growing individually, that has an effect on the, the health of the whole body of Christ. And when I'm not, well, that does too. We're either growing and we're getting better or we're not. But we're doing it together. Revelation unveils this vision of a future where we get to together live and reign with God in loving communion forever. And we together are invited to prepare today excitedly for that tomorrow. Now, I think depending on our personality types, which we're going to talk about at the Enneagram workshop, or maybe how we grew up hearing about Revelation, um, there are a couple of different ditches that we can fall into when we think about this sort of thing. And the first one is that many of us will focus on today while completely ignoring tomorrow, right? Like we live in a state of perpetual anxiety that we're not doing enough or being enough or checking all the boxes. And we live in a frenzied rush to try to perfect ourselves or other people before time's up and it's too late. And then the second ditch is those of us who focus on tomorrow and we ignore today. We say things that are good and, and right and true like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But then 
the problem comes in when we throw up our hands in despair and we look at the current state of the world and we just want to stick our head in the sand and ignore it and not engage with any of it. Just wait on Jesus to come back and end this misery. And neither of those approaches is actually fully embodying the truth of the good news here. Because remember, Revelation unveils a vision of our future where we're going to live and reign with God in loving communion forever. So we're preparing today for that tomorrow. It's a vision for today and tomorrow. Both are necessary for the good news to be fully understood and embodied. The today-only people, we need to rest in the promise that Jesus is coming, that his work in us is going to be completed. And when we remember that that is our promise tomorrow, it frees us up to prepare today in excitement, in anticipation, instead of just a bunch of anxious striving. And the tomorrow-only people, they need to remember the truth that God has empowered and commissioned us right now to be his hands and feet in the world, that we have a role to play where he has us and he's at work. We were called to prepare ourselves today and invite others into the betrothal so that we're at this very same time that we're anticipating this tomorrow that we're looking forward to. Now, every other week of this series, if you haven't noticed it, was basically this, not that. So the first week, Brian talked about revelation being news, not predictions. And then we talked about lamb, not lion, and freedom, not fear, love, not violence. But today is the one and only week that's both and. It's today and tomorrow. And I will admit to you that I most easily get hung up in the today, not tomorrow camp. This probably comes as zero surprise based on other things I've shared with you guys before. Um, but I'm an Enneagram type one. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, um, it's known as the improver, the reformer, or the dubious term we all hate, the perfectionist. And for me, that means things can so easily become about the checklist. I'm just trying to do and be all the right things. And when I do that, I lose sight of the promise of tomorrow. So I may be going through the motions of preparing, but there's not a lot of excitement there. More like duty and resentment, responsibility, heaviness. One of the things that's helping me embody the good news right now is the 40 days of noticing that we're all doing together. It's taking that time every day at the end of my day to notice where I saw God at work. That's helping me remember his love and presence with me and hold on to his promise for tomorrow. And when I do that, it's easier to surrender to the truth that he, it is he who does the good work in me and in the world, not me. So I just get to say yes and join him in what he's already doing. When I center myself on that truth every day, it helps me rediscover excitement again and joy in this walk and in this preparation. And interestingly, as a Fitbit data nerd, it's also lowering my resting heart rate the last couple of weeks, which is kind of cool and weird, and also probably an indicator of some newfound peace in my soul that I really needed. So what about you guys? Which side do you tend to drift toward as you manage this both and tension between today and tomorrow? I, we're going to actually have a little Meadow Heights confessional moment this morning. Um, so if you, like me, are one of those people that tends to focus on today to exclu the exclusion of tomorrow, raise your hand. 
Yeah, there are quite a few of us. If you're online, you can, you can own up to it in the comments if you'd like. <sighs> Today, people, I see you, I hear you, I am one of you. <laughs> so I have a challenge for us this week, okay? When we begin to notice ourselves stressing out and try to f- trying to fix everything on our own, I want to invite you to pause and remember that God promises that we're going to live with him in loving communion forever. And that this good work that he started in us and in the world, he's going to make sure it's completed. And as we practice embracing that truth about tomorrow, I want you to notice how it changes the way you respond to all those little things that you're anxious about trying to fix. Okay, what about the tomorrow people? Who are the dreamers who get all caught up in their heads? We got a few of you. (laughs) I got a challenge for you too. When you notice yourself dreaming about the future so much that you've checked out from the present, I want you to pause and ask yourself, what's God doing right now? How is he at work around me in this moment? How might he be inviting me to surrender to his love right now and right here? And then I want you to look for one, day that you, one way that you can practice right now preparing yourself for that tomorrow that you're longing for. And did you guys notice the common thread between those two challenges? It was a pause. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, we need this, don't we? All of us, the today people and the tomorrow people, we have to be intentional about pausing to reflect on what God wants us to see. And one of the best tools I know for doing this is what's called the prayer of examine. It's been a key practice in my walk with Jesus the last few years, and we've been practicing it together as part of 40 Days of Noticing. So I would actually love for us to pause right now and practice that together. Can we do that? Okay, so where you are, just kind of get comfortable. Maybe close your eyes so that you can focus a little bit more. Take a few deep breaths with me. What we're going to do is I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I want you to think back over the last week. Sometimes we get in such a hurry that we miss where God was present and at work. So these questions are going to help us notice some of those ways that he was present. And when you notice something and it pops into your mind, I want you to just name that to God. What were some of the high points of your week? What about the low points? Can you name those? Where did you experience stress or anxiety or irritation this week? Where did you experience peace or inspiration or beauty? Did you experience any conflict or tension in your relationships? 
Did you experience harmony or joy in your relationships? Whatever you're noticing about this week that you might have missed along the way, name that to God. Take a minute to thank him for helping you see. Father, we want to thank you for the fact that you are present and at work in all the mundane moments of our life. God, thank you for the opportunity to slow down and notice that you were there, that you're at work, that you still will be. Father, as we look at this week's theme, I pray that you would help us to see a clearer picture of that beautiful future that it's ours where we get to live and reign with you in loving communion forever and ever. And as we're clinging to that, help us to see the ways that we can get intentional about preparing today, about building excitement, not only in ourselves and in our own hearts, but as a community of faith. And give us courage to take that next step and say yes to you. In your name. Amen. Okay, guys. So, um, last week, Brian invited our Meadow Heights family to participate in what we're calling 40 Days of Noticing. I've mentioned it a couple times already. And if some of those questions were familiar to you in the prayer of examine, it's probably because you're already following along <laughs> and participating in this with us. Um, those questions are part of the resources that are on our app and website about the 40 days. Um, and basically, we're all trying to uh, practice together one of our first practices for becoming. I notice God at work in and around me. Um, we began last week on Monday. So many of you have already been doing this. But don't get hung up on dates. If, you, um, if you're just hearing about this for the first time, I want to invite you to jump in right where we are. Because we're going to be doing this all the way up to Easter. And... Um, there, there is nothing but good that can come from pre preparing our hearts to notice what God is doing as we prepare for Easter, right? Uh, there are three ways that we're inviting and encouraging everyone to participate in this. The first is uh, a practice of fasting. We talked about that a little last week. I invited you to pray about giving up one thing during this time, maybe a food item or a technology or media item, something like that. Uh, and I've been hearing a lot of chatter about that, actually. I'm wondering if anybody here would be willing to share, either in the room or in the comments online, what did you give up for these 40 days? Anybody? Social media on phone and iPad. I think I've seen the social media one a lot. Anybody else? Coffee. Coffee. Brave. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have a staff member who gave up Starbucks, and we're a little concerned about the financial future of the Farmington uh, Starbucks location, so you can pray about that this week. Anybody else? Soda. Sharon, I saw your hand, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. 
Yes. <laughs> that is such a perfect illustration because that's the idea of fasting. We're not giving it up to just suffer here. We're giving it up to make room for noticing God at work in our lives. And that's such a great example of that. Thank you, Sharon. Um, this week, I want to point out, like, we're also, we're also doing the prayer and blessing other people. That's what we're doing is the other two components of this. Um, we're, we're getting intentional about praying every day so that we practice noticing God more often in our day-to-day lives. And then we're noticing ways that God's at work in our community and around us. We're looking for ways to bless other people. Uh, so my challenge for you this week is we just practice the prayer of examine together. The questions that I used and some others like them are available on our app and on the website. I'd like to challenge you to take about five or ten minutes at the end of every day to just pray through some of those questions, just like we did. Where did where do we notice God at work this, in this day? Maybe journal if that helps you. But we're going to do that together. And then um, another thing that we're doing in this time as we prepare for Easter is we're taking time to be intentional about praying for our church. Because as, you know, I'm sure most of you realize, there have been a lot of challenges the last couple of years for our church. As we adapted to the changing world that was brought on by this pandemic, none of us expected or saw coming. And each week, um, we've determined we're going to pray together about something about a specific thing that we're noticing that week. And this week, um, I, last week, we asked you guys to pray for some key, uh, some conversations with volunteers uh, that were happening. Um, and you guys have been praying for that this week, and they've started happening, and that's been great. Um, this week, we want to practice gratitude in our prayer. And so I want to invite us to pray and thank God for the ways that he actually used the last couple of years to help us better prepare for how we equip people to live from a place of love. That's what we're going to pray for together this week. Can you guys join me in that? Okay, we'll send out a reminder as well, so you'll get those throughout the week. Um, And check out the details on, on the app for that as well. Okay, we're about to wrap up here. If anyone is new here and you have not had a chance to experience what we call new here, Uh, today would be a great opportunity to do that. Uh, It's a chance for you to just meet one of our pastors, spend about 15 minutes um, hearing some things that are unique about us as a church, and uh, getting getting to ask some questions if you have questions. Brian is going to be the one doing that today. Um, If you have kids and go kids, you can go get them, come back. He'll be hanging out right around here, um, and he'd love to meet you, answer any questions you have, and just chat for a little bit. So I hope you'll stick around to join him for that. also, this is your last call reminder about the Enneagram workshop. If you want to be at the Enneagram t- Transformation Workshop, register for that today uh, so we can be ready for you. It's going to be great. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. As we go out, I just want to encourage you, cling to the promise of tomorrow and look for opportunities today to practice and get ready. Okay? We'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks.